Cutting through the clutter to bring you the people and stories that matter to you. WSJ Podcasts. Sound ideas. Coming up. The movie is The Danish Girl. The director is Tom Hooper. He'll be joining us next on the Walsh Journal Arts Podcast. Updates on arts and entertainment. Interviews with celebrities and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Hey, I'm Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. I'm talking to director Tom Hooper, who's the director of the new film, The Danish Girl. Tom, thanks for joining us at the Wall Street Journal. Absolute pleasure, Chris. Okay, your new movie, The Danish Girl, tells the true story of Lily, a person who transitioned from being a man into a woman in the 20s and 30s and was one of the first people to undergo sexual reassignment surgery. How did you hear about this story? Um, I first fell in love with this um, incredible script in late 2008. I was in early uh, pre-production on the King's Speech, and it, and, it, and it came to me via my wonderful casting director, Nina Gold, who uh, has cast pretty much everything I've directed since I was um, 21, and we, we were having a, a conversation that uh, is you know, familiar to any directors listening where I was saying, where, you know, where, where are all the great scripts? It's so hard to find great material. And she said, well, I know of one great unmade script, and it's called The Danish Girl. And um, I, 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 I read it, and I was incredibly moved by the love story at its center, and it was one of the best scripts I'd ever read. And, and you know, I there and then sort of committed to making it if I possibly could. And, you know, for me, it's been a seven-year journey to get it to the screen. But on this film, that makes me a bit of a newcomer because my, my producers, Gail and Anne, have been fighting for 15 years mm. um, to get the film made, uh, starting when they, adapt, when they optioned David Ebershoff's novel in the late 1990s. So, um, you know, the, the whole process of getting to the screen has been a, a big one. And you did mention the novel The Danish Girl by David Ebershoff. And what I find interesting is there are a lot of layers here because it's, your movie is based on a novel, which is a fictional take on a real-life story. So when people are watching the film, how much is true, how much is fictional creation, and does it matter? Um, the basis of the film is this uh, wonderful novel by David Evershoff, which he, at the, at the end of the novel, you know, says is highly fictionalized. Um, I mean, he, his, his novel you know, gave us a, a wonderful structure, but there, but there were things where that were, that were further from the truth than what we've done. I mean, for example, in, in, in the novel, um, Gerda, the character played by Alicia Vikander, is actually called Greta, and she's from California, so that there's a sort of marriage between a, a Danish painter and a, and a Californian woman. And this Cinder Coxon, um, I think, correctly you know, brought it much closer to the real story by, by uh, allowing Gerda to be Danish and, uh, and a Danish artist alongside uh, Ina. So, so the script brings it back um, closer to the real story. Then we commissioned our own research. I mean, what what I found fascinating when when I when I first read the script is when I went on the internet to look up uh, Gerda Vena uh, and Ina Vena. I, I was I was astonished by how little information there was. I found out that you know subsequently that the information that was there uh, was was quite inaccurate. Um, you know, there, there was no kind of biography of them. When I went to Copenhagen. Um, uh, the Danish people I met in general had not even heard of this story. So um, it, it, it was a story that had become quite marginalized, um, and, the, and therefore it was quite hard uh, to get some reliable you know, information about them. Um, so you know, I, I think hovering over the, your question is a, more, is a bigger question, which is you know, 
is it even possible to make, quotes the true version of events? Um, I, I'm not sure it is. I mean, if I was to make a film about what happened to me yesterday, I would probably sit down and discover I couldn't remember exactly what the dialogue was that I said to uh, the people I met. And, and already I would be fictionalizing what happened to me yesterday because of my, uh, you know, because I can't remember every single word. So, so. So I, uh, I I think it, I think it's 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 very it's very inspired by the true story, but there are there are definitely adaptations we've made to make it work as a movie. But m most importantly, Chris, I hope it you know directs people's attention to, to to the real people underlying the story who were such extraordinarily courageous pioneers. And um, I hope the film um, you know means that they're never marginalised in the historical account again. Yeah, one thing I find interesting is when people are watching films that are based on something that's from real life. These days, because of Wikipedia, because they have you know, phones in their hands, you've often seen people you know, Googling things, ask the movies going on, to sort of say, find out, is that real? Is that real? And I'm wondering if, as a filmmaker, you're conscious of not pulling the rug out from people and putting something on the screen that's great dramatically, that they'll be disappointed to find out, oh, no, they didn't really fall in love. This isn't the way it really happened. I'm so disappointed. Is that something that you're conscious of as filmmakers these days, or or not really? I think it's a fascinating question, Chris. Uh, you know, whether whether the kind of hand the the, the handheld device is transforming our relationship um, to story. I mean, I, I mean, I tend to have gravitated to, to stories in, in in my life where um, where history is kind of slightly buried information about them. I mean, if you think about the King's Speech, you know, the, when, I, when I read the official biography of King George VI, I mean, there was literally a sentence about Lionel Logue, and um, audiences could have tried to Google that story and, and, and not really found much information at all. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I suppose, you know, in, the, the, there's a tendency sometimes for history to kind of hard bake in, um, you know, it, it, the prejudices of the time in terms of what story gets Celebrated what what story gets slightly suppressed, and uh, you know, I, with the King's Speech, I suppose it's no great surprise that the story of a king needing therapy has to get suppressed because of any you know any 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 connection between uh, sort of mental illness and the monarchy was you know clearly alarming to people at the time. Um, um, so one can understand that why that was suppressed, and, and then with the Danish girl, you know, th there's been decades of prejudice against trans stories and trans people. Um, so maybe that's why you know this is sort of underrepresented. Um, but I mean, I, I I would kind of turn it around and say I, I I would welcome you know any film I make encouraging people to to spend more time looking at the real people and the real story, particularly in the, in, in this case the real art. Well, let's talk about one of the actors in the film, Eddie Redmayne. He's a guy that seems to seems like he can do no wrong these days. You work with him before, <laughs> and what I'm fascinated by is. What a particular actor has that seems to draw directors in to want to work with him, especially repeatedly. What does he have? What qualities does he have as an actor that really draw you to him and his work? I mean, I think, well, you know, in, in a funny way, what's fascinating about Eddie is you, you could argue it's taken a long time for the world to realize, you know, uh, how extraordinary it is. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to discover his, his gift um, ten, almost ten years ago, when I was directing him on, on Elizabeth the uh, First, he played. He was playing a young rebel who tries to overthrow Queen Elizabeth the First, Queen Helen Mirren, and is sentenced to death uh, for his uh, 
endeavor and um what what really stood out uh when i i, I was filming the the scene where he, he he gets the death sentence and it was his extraordinary uh, emotional rawness um almost a kind of emotional transparency that that eddie had where he was so his fragility his vulnerability were so clear and 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 amongst english actors this kind of access to vivid access to one's emotions is you know can be quite rare i mean i often think english actors remain in some kind of dialogue with their own reserve hmm. um but but with but, but with eddie he has this sort of emotional fluency that 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 i found um completely marked him out and uh, you know, then the, the performances I did on, I saw him do on the stage, like Red or Richard II, were again marked by this. Uh, and, and I cast him in Les Mis to play Marius precisely because of his ability to um, to, to dramatize that key moment in the Marius story, you know, when his um, friends have been killed on the barricade and he sings empty chairs, empty tables. And again, that moment's marked by incredible uh, emotional rawness. And and, and I think one of the things that led me to, to think about him for the Danish girl is he, he has that gift where he can take people on a journey where, you know, beat for beat, step for step, you, you're with Eddie, you go with him in a, in a, in a, in a very intimate way, you understand uh, where he's emotionally, and he has this incredible ability to create a kind of empathic connection. I mean, I mean, if you think about when Eddie played Stephen Hawking, I mean, the great challenge there is audiences maybe didn't want to, were thinking, well, do I want to go on that journey? That journey seems, you know, incredibly tough to go to in, in the movie theater and 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 Eddie's ability to sort of you know create an emotional connection with the audience um, means that he was able to take people on on what was quite a tough journey and but find the hope and the humanity and the and the and the and the poignancy at all at all times so i mean i, th I think he's um uh you know i th i think he's truly exceptional um and and also exceptional for his incredible preparation i mean he started working, you know, on on this film from the moment I handed him the the, the script of the Danish Girl on the, on the barricades of Les Misérables, uh, and and his full time prep was pretty much a year. Um, so so he 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 also you know brings a level of uh, rigor and preparation to all his roles, um, which I think helps to allow him to disappear into them. Well, I wrote down that phrase you mentioned, dialogue with their own reserve. I like that so much, I may have to use that at some point. <laughs> One question I have is that Eddie Redmayne has been getting such rays for his performance as a man who transitions into a woman in the 20s and 30s. And the question I have is, as a director, how did you help Eddie to become a woman? What steps did you take to sort of make his performance even more believable and even more emotional? I think I think the biggest thing was to 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 work on the, the this this you know key psychological r reality that that Eddie's playing someone who 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 was always a woman uh, and and actually what what and, and in childhood Lily had a strong sense of her female identity and then had to um, suppress it uh, in order to um, you know live as a man because she was living at a time where there was no possible way as a child you could make that kind of statement about your gender identity and expect anyone to acknowledge it or take it at all seriously. Um, and, 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 and so that I worked a lot with this idea with Eddie that, 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 that um, it, it was about uh, recovering 
um, Lily's femininity or, or revealing Lily's femininity, or, or almost more than transforming, rather than transforming from a man into a woman. It, it was more uh, Lily, Lily, Lily was always a woman, um, had had to live as a man, and was allowing the femininity to come back. Um, uh, we, we met with a lot of um, inspiring trans women who, who, who were very helpful, particularly with the uh, the psychology of it. I mean, one of the one of the, co- the concepts that came out of that was this was this possibility that that some trans women talked about going through a period of hyperfeminization, where in order to kind of reawaken connection with their female selves, um, they 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 almost you know go sort of hyperfeminized in in their cl- in their clothing, their gestural language. Maybe they'd go, and 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 we thought that was interesting with Lily because the the, the paintings of Lily have sometimes quite a degree of almost theatricality or affectation. And, and, and so one of the ways that we felt Lily un- unlocked her feminine identity was, was this sort of very strong reach after femininity, which over the course of the movie kind of settles down as she you know, starts to have the confidence to be herself. Well, we're going to pause for a second and be right back with Tom Hooper. Is that something you'd like to tell me? Is that something you'd like to learn? I'm your wife. I know everything. Could you help me with something? You will not tell anyone about this. Hello. (laughs) We're going to call you Lily. (laughs) WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content. Like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out the quirkier side of life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Traveling on business? Then take us along and stay on track. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, updates on arts and entertainment. Interviews with celebrities and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. You're different from most girls. I feel I'd need to ask your permission before I kissed you. I'm Christopher John Farley, senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. I'm talking to director Tom Hooper, whose new film is The Danish Girl, starring Eddie Redmayne. Now, um, it's almost weird to ask this question because Eddie's been getting such raise for his his, his um, performance. But given the fact you met with trans sort of... um. Advisors, was there any thought at all at some earlier stage about casting a trans actor in the in the lead role? Yeah, it's a good. I mean, it's a good question. Um, uh, you know, I've certainly had. Um, you know, I've lived with the project for a long time, but I, I'm, to be fair to Eddie, I'm, I must uh, say that I just had a strong instinct that he would be incredibly powerful in the role. Um, ever since that first read in 2008, I mean, in fact, I imagined Eddie as Lily uh, in that very first read, and and of course back then, people kind of said, well, you'll never get a movie cast, you'll never get a movie, you know, financed with Eddie Redmayne. I mean, um, <laughs> so, um, at that point, it seemed like a bit of a, 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 an unlikely dream to be able to actually end up with Eddie um, in in the role. Um, but I, I know, in, you know, in an incarnation before I got involved. Um, there, there was a woman who was going to uh, Nicole Cribben who was going to potentially play Lily. Um, so I think you know casting uh, that might have been interesting. I mean, I, I mean, I I, I thought um, a lot about the fact that Lily's transition is quite 
late in the movie and for the majority of the film she presents as Einar, so that affected my opinion. But but certainly going out, I mean, we went out and, and met, I mean, the film was based in London, so we met trans actors and actresses in London. Um, I, I, I was struck that it was quite a, you know, a, a small community of actors and, and, and I wondered whether if you're a, a child who's trans or a teenager who's trans, you know, who falls in love with acting, do you think you've got, does, 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 a, does that person feel the same confidence that they can pursue a career in acting that a cisgender teenager would i don't i don't know if that's the case and I, and, I, and i've certainly i certainly feel the industry needs to do more um for you know trans actors when they're coming when, or, or, or even before that when people think about a career in acting uh, for the industry to give them a sort of quality of opportunity I and mean, we ended up having two act two two trans um actors playing cis roles um in the film so so the good thing about going to you know, audition um, transactors in London, which we did end up collaborating with a couple of great people. One thing I found fascinating about the film is that although it's called The Danish Girl, there's a lot of the spotlight is on Alicia Vikander's role. You know, she really is uh, a true heroine in that she has this husband who says, I'm, I want to become a woman, and she goes along with it, supports it, makes it happen, although she realizes that the end game here is she's no longer going to have a husband. Can you talk to me about her role and her role as sort of the heroine in this story? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think at the the center of the film is you know this incredible love story. But you you, you have to ask, um, you know, how how was it that in the 1920s, when the word transgender didn't exist, when the medical establishment pathologized it as a condition that needed locking up or uh, treating with radiation therapy or lobotomizing? Um, you know, when there was no roadmap to transition, how come Lily emerged you know, at that time? And, I, and I, I'm convinced that, that it was in part that the, the, the space that was opened up by this extraordinary love in the marriage and the couple. And, you know, many, all marriages or many marriages, you know, go, go through profound change or partners can change over time. This is, this is a, you know, a, a, a level of change that... Um, uh, is you know, puts tremendous demands on a relationship, and and, and I think um, the way Gerda loves Lily and supports her at every step, uh, and makes her feel that she can become her true self, e- even if that there's a risk that Gerda loses her her husband. Um, I, that's the kind of beautiful core of the story. This this exploration of of unconditional love, or what love is, really the ability to care about someone else more than yourself. Um, uh, and and I think Alicia Vikander, you know, brings such heart and life force and strength and dignity to Gerda. Um, she never plays. You never feel like Gerda, despite that Gerda goes through a tough journey, a kind of her own version of a, of a transition as a partner. You never feel um, that she's a victim. Um, and uh, it was all it was also a gift to me to have an, a, a genuine Scandinavian in the film, given that you know the film is set in starts in Denmark and it's Danish characters and, and Alicia's played Danish in the film of Royal Affairs so she, she brought also a, a northern European Scandinavian, Scandinavian energy into the centre of this film which I loved I also found it interesting how someone like Alicia Vikander a few months ago no one had heard of her suddenly she's a toast of the town she's up for a Golden Globe for your film and also for Ex Machina another film she was in this year what made her suddenly move straight to the A-list so quickly so she's someone that a lot of directors 
now seem to want to work with and that critics are suddenly embracing? Um, I, you know, I, I, I think it's because she's done, you know, a, a huge amount in, I mean, I think she's done, what, seven films in a couple of years, so, so, so suddenly, all, all, you know, all this work is, is, is hitting at, you know, near the same time, but, but, but I think, honestly, Chris, it's just because she's such an unusual talent, um, uh, and I, I certainly felt intimidated when I was trying to find the actress to act opposite Eddie Redmayne, and, you know, wanting someone who could not only hold her own against Eddie, but maybe even raise Eddie's game. And Alicia is that person. She, she's, um, you know, fiercely bright, fiercely talented. And and you've got to, you know, remember this is this is a woman who had who had enough discipline in her approach to teach herself unaccented English. And you know, c- coming from Sweden, I mean, it's one thing to learn English, but to be able to to be able to speak, um, you know, English RP such that you know, without an accent, take to, but just by itself takes incredible um, uh, willpower and concentration, and, and and I think that's some. You know, the fact that she's done that is is, is somehow a key into her. Um, um, but but also, you know, Hollywood has a great a great tradition of of uh, accepting and celebrating um, outsider voices. I mean, I mean, you know, throughout Hollywood's career, it's it's you know it's it's found talent from outside and, and, and brought it within. And there, there's something about that outsider's eye or that outsider's perspective that I think sometimes can give an actor uh, an edge because of the journey, you know, they've come on to even get, you know, to, to, to having these kind of opportunities. But I, I, I think, her, you know, the nominations are amazing and are, very, and, are, and are very well deserved. And I think, you know, she's going to be a huge star. We're going to see a lot of great work from her the next few years. And there's such a delicate dance at the center of this movie between this husband and wife and the way their their gender roles are changing and their relationship is moving on to something else. What was the most difficult scene for you to pull off? Um, I think the scene that I thought a lot about was the scene when Lily as Einar first puts on um, stockings and holds Ulla's dress against herself when, when, when Gerda asks is I not to sit in um, as a model when 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 Ulla is late or doesn't show up, and and uh, this this scene is you know David's novel starts at this moment. It's very important in in Lily's memoirs, Man into Woman, um, but it posed uh, you know some challenges to me. What, one one was that I I I, I didn't want to um, I didn't want the scene to be about somehow inciting transness that 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 this is a person who you know who who discovered they were trans at this moment because of because obviously the film then goes on to explain how lily's sense of um her feminine identity started as a, as a young child with hans so so first of all getting getting that feeling that it that it was a that it was a, a reawakening uh of of something that had lain long dormant or long suppressed that that was um uh, that was important, and, and and also, you know, that that um, you know, clothing can be very important. Certainly, as as gender markers, clothing is you know important. But 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 in this scene, the contact with women's clothing is again is again a way of um, provoking um, uh, an awareness in in Lilia's Einar, and, and then and then getting the balance right between joy and anxiety, because I because I I I, I wanted. You know, at this, I wanted 
the audience to three, feel through Liddy that she, in this moment she was connecting with a, with a kind of happiness she's not dreamt of or a kind of contentment or sense of self. But, but, but at the same time, in order to, to get, go down that corridor to that other room where, the, where that happiness might lie in wait would involve such anxiety because what, what on earth does it mean to make that statement about yourself in the 1920s at that time? Uh, and, sh- and the awareness that the journey would be very hard would have been very forceful. So, so getting that balance uh, in Eddie's in performance between joy and pain and then getting it right in, in, the, in the camera work, the editing, the music scoring, um, I think that, that, that as it's such a kind of tra- you know, key moment in the film, that's probably one of the big challenges. Well, the movie is The Danish Girl. The director is Tom Hooper. Thanks a lot for talking to The Wall Street Journal. Chris, thanks so much.